the gods to ghost volleyball podcast and your host scott bemke our podcast today features part three of our three-part interview with george stepanoff with that being said let's get started did so much for the sport over decades on the beach is the tournament director and then with estero which i heard was just amazing what are you most proud of and how would you like to be remembered well I think I was most proud that my children also played volleyball. Scott, my oldest son, made AAA on the beach. And in high school, he played indoor six-man for Point Loma High School. And he was selected most valuable player in one of the county tournaments. Also, my other son, Tom, earned a scholarship in college to play volleyball. And my third son, Rick, also played college ball for San Diego State and Long Beach State. He was also a great beach player. He and I won uh, three of the top tournaments in San Diego and Mexico, Poland Bear Classic, La Jolla Tournament, uh, the famous Mexico International Volleyball Tournament. And that's sterile? Played in that. Yeah. The 839 teams played in it. In I have that picture of you two together with him, and that's, that's a classic pick. But I... Shoot out Art Kubian for what the caption he wrote under it. He says, holding up an annual trophy. He didn't say we won the tournament. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I'm also proud of my granddaughter, uh, Marisol. She plowed, played uh, volleyball in high school in Puerto Rico. And my other granddaughter, Camille, made AAA on the beach at age 16. Damn. And she's now... Uh, Playing for Cal Berkeley, their beach team, and uh, grandson. Two of my grandsons played for Point Loma High School, and another one that's six five. He didn't take up volleyball. <laughs> he went into baseball, and he was really good at, at baseball. And I'm proud of all of them now. I think what I'd like to be uh, remembered for uh, being a major contributor to the beach game of volleyball, both as a director of the tournaments here at Ocean Beach and, and in San Diego, and my contributions to the CBVA. You know, where I was a, on the board of directors, I was past president, uh, you know, developed the rating system now used, and mm-hmm. they wrote the rules of the rule book and wrote the criteria for the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's been a highlight in my career to be so much involved in a sport that has been my favorite hobby. You were a player on it. You had some big wins and played against and saw all the best, George. That's what Chris Brown told me. He goes, nobody better for you to interview than Stepanoff because he's seen it all, done it all. Uh, 
stand-up guy. Uh, he, I, he was I spot on. I really wasn't uh, a great player, you know, because I didn't really win open tournament. You know, the best I came in was second in an open. But, but I did beat some of the guys that are in the Hall of Fame <laughs> uh, in a lot of tournaments. And in fact, I beat a couple of them 15 to nothing games in open tournaments. Who? Like who? <laughs> this guy's wanting to, he'll probably want to forget it. He's Vogie. <laughs> oh, good. Anytime we can d- take a dig at Vogie, it's good for, for him uh, to, to get him. Yeah, but, but the tournament <laughs> that I beat him to nothing in was uh, a draw tournament. If I ask Where Vogie about that, he's going to say he beat you 15 nothing. but... I know. But he, but he was playing with my, that I played with against uh, O'Hare and Bright. And so it was a triple-A, single-A draw tournament, I think it was. And uh, we ended up beating them 15 to nothing. And, and then another guy, top player, that when he was coming up, he was no, only a double-A, I think. And uh, it was at Laguna Beach. It was Jim Mingus. Uh, oh, by size. 15 to nothing. Huh? Old ice eyes. Yeah. He, uh, well, was kind of windy that day, and uh, the sun was just about ready to go down, and I would stand back there in that right corner with the sun, straight line with him, the sun in his eyes. So he had a hard time <laughs> seeing the ball coming at him uh, because of the sun, and... Uh, Somehow we just beat him 15 to nothing. Yeah, and he was one of the greatest that ever played. 13 wins in a row with Greg Lee until Karch yeah. and Kent tied it years later. That's yeah, a but, pretty but damn good streak. Was, this was uh, before he got real good. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. What are you up to these days, George? Where do you live? Do you have family? Uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I'll give you another chance to talk about it now. And what do you do for fun and hobbies these days? Well, I live in Point Loma, San Diego. I retired from running tournaments in the CBVA a couple years ago, and now I'm still helping my friend, Steve Up. He's my partner. We've been running tournaments for the past 40 years together. And one time I said at a uh, CBVA meeting, I said, yeah, I I would recommend him taking my place because I'm stepping out of... CBVA and and he's been helping me for 40 years and I said a couple more years from now he'll have it down pat (laughs) (laughs) and and, uh, I have also a close relationship with all my friends that uh, we call them the work crew and I've got uh, pictures of the work crew on my wall downstairs with a bunch of volleyball mementos and stuff and, uh, and those guys are all all in it and they all help me run the tournaments uh, you know put up the nets and lines we had to put them up and take them down every night uh, even Saturday night put them back up on Sunday and take them down Saturday again I mean on Sunday uh, without that work crew it would have been very difficult to run the tournaments and uh, you ask, what do I do now? Uh, nothing. <laughs> I'm retired. What about those walks? 
my well, my wife Arlene, uh, she used to help me with the tournaments uh, by checking in the players. And my my son Scott, Tom, Rick, they also helped. Uh, my grandkids, Elliot, Camille, Marisol, Nicholas, and Jordan, they all all of it, they played volleyball and and they they helped uh, run the tournament. Except for Elliot, he was six five, but he was he didn't want to play volleyball. He pitch. Uh, <laughs> fun and hobbies. Okay, I have a a cabin at ten thousand feet in the Rockies in Colorado. It has uh, five acres with the middle fork of the South Platte River running right through it. Uh, we love to go there like once a year to see the wildlife and fish in the river. And I think my hobbies right now, uh, me and my wife try to help people in the local Indian casinos by donating to them monthly. Oh, how neat. What about yeah, those walks that you take? I, I, I donate to them by gambling. <laughs> <laughs> all, your, all, your, all your volleyball winnings, right? All like $5 and a pitcher of beer and a pair of sweatpants. <laughs> that's what blows me away about the time when all you guys played it was for like john taught me it was for pride bragging rights and camaraderie camaraderie with uh your uh your best friends and competitors and you can't put a dollar value on that in my book and that's what you guys did it's pretty beautiful right yeah awesome well, what I miss about my playing days, I, I miss mostly the uh, playing my friends and uh, that I made through volleyball, and the competition itself was exciting. The physical exercise has helped keep me in condition. When I played six men in the nationals, <laughs> they had a, they were doing tests on all the volleyball players, and I was. I was measured to have the uh, highest jump of everyone on, on our team. What was your vertical? And, and, well, I, I don't really know what it was, but uh, now I try and jump now and I can't get both feet off the ground at the same time. Yeah, I'm 47 and I can relate, so maybe we should s start a support group, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You, me, and Van Hagen, and uh, Mangus is one of the few guys that still keeps playing and kicking ass uh, at Annenberg Club with Brad Barber. It's pretty neat to hear about how those guys, and Nancy Cohen, they're still playing there and doing pretty well. Well, that's what's so good about this sport. You know, it's so forgiving. Uh, you can play it in an old age, and uh, if you hit the ground, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> The only problem now is trying to get back up. <laughs> <laughs> Might need a Gene Selznick timeout from the uh, 64 Manhattan Beach Open when uh, they couldn't get out of the sand. <laughs> Everyone was throwing stuff on them, beer and whatever. Yeah, so they could get back he cramped up. so bad they had to pull him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was classic. John Taylor and Frank Taylor told me that story. Uh, they were there and watched that. And uh, afterwards, O'Hara went up to Von Hagen and said, 
You should have never let those assholes keep doing that to you. <laughs> Von Hagen and Carter were so intimidated by Lang and uh, and Selznick that they didn't. What are they going to tell uh, Steno and the fifty people in the crowd not to do it? <laughs> you know, it's so. Well, I remember that match, and it, it was funny because he had cramps; he couldn't get back up. And his partner had to go pull him back up and standing there. And it was unbelievable how many balls Von Hagen hit right at him. Yeah, it, that was the 65 man open. And I apologize. And in, in, then um, Selznick dug a Von Hagen crush on the last point. And it went into the backcourt, like on the back line, and they won the tournament. And uh, that was, uh, aside from the uh, Manhattan Beach Open in 72, when him and Gage lost uh, to Zulich and uh, Jackson, where they like, called it due to darkness, and they played like the next week on like a Thursday. And um, Mike Cook made a bad call where uh, Gage was over and... I don't want to get into that because it'll piss Von Hagen and Gage off. But nonetheless, it's it's neat to hear this history of this sport. It's it's epic and amazing, and I can't thank you enough for your insight tonight. And it makes me smile to know that your grandkids will someday get to listen to this and know how awesome their well, grandfather you know was about all this. The last thing I have on here is about uh, Nate Parrish, and uh, I I could just go ahead and do it now. Or yeah, go ahead like, and do it, and I can edit it in there uh, anywhere. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, the best player in San Diego during the fifties and sixties, in my opinion, and the most unusual because of his off the wall antics was a player named Nate Parrish. While he developed every part of his game to the highest degree and usually beat most of the local competition with a number of different partners, you would never know what he would do at any given time, both on the court and when he was not playing. He was known for his unusual actions from San Diego to all the other beaches and cities here and up and down the coast and that did make him unusual, and he was so exciting to be around. Uh, one of the times I remember, uh, in one San Diego Open tournament, after the play on Sunday, while a lot of the players were still there, and most of the players that had lost had been drinking beer and, and a, a drink we called a Zambola, Zambola <laughs> uh, was a watermelon <laughs> that that we cut a three inch wedge in the top, a square wedge, uh, and uh, we scraped the insides of the watermelon out with a spoon, filled it inside with ice cubes, bought a gallon of red mountain wine at the local liquor store uh, that sold for a dollar twenty nine a gallon at that time. And uh, we mixed it with slow gin and pineapple juice. And then we would replace the wedge, 
punch four holes in the top, put straws in it, so anyone or anybody on the beach that wanted to drink some could. Uh, and the trash cans were, uh, well, plus it was legal in those days to drink on the beach. Yeah. Uh, the, the trash cans were far and few between, so we asked the players if they could pick up the trash around them and place it in one big pile and that would make it easier for cleanup crews. And that pile of, of beer and wine bottles and other trash, that pile ended up being about six feet in diameter and about three feet high. After we finished drinking the contents of the Zambola, Nate, who had drank some, ended up, he ended up taking the watermelon, put it on his head, and he started running around the beach. He was waving his arms and ran toward the pile of trash and did a flip and landed on his back on that pile of trash. And all you could hear was the beer bottles and the wine bottles breaking. He, he heard the bottles breaking. <laughs> and when he got up, he, he didn't even have a scratch on him. <laughs> like Steno when they broke that bottle over his head back in the day. someone drive a car down Mission Boulevard, uh, which is the only street in that whole peninsula on the beach, uh, while he stood on the hood shouting obscene things. Uh, this, this was Nate. And then it, here's another one. Another time in Mission Beach, Nate pulled another one of the outlandish antics while the local volleyball players were waiting for their game to come up, and they were sitting on the on the wall, we had a wall that separated the sand and the and the walk, and we saw a rich-looking woman, about 40 years old, wearing high heels, a tight-fitting black cocktail dress. Uh, she had diamond necklace and diamond bracelets. She looked way out of the way for the beach, you know, on the boardwalk. She also was walking a small white dog on a leash. And the dog was also wearing a diamond collar. And when Nate saw this, he started making a big fuss over how cute the dog looked. The, this lady seemed very happy with the attention Nate was showing her dog. <laughs> Nate asked her if, if he could take the dog for a short walk around the block. Uh, she said, well, okay, it's don't be long. And so Nate, Nate took the dog for a walk. Uh, while he was gone, he bought he bought some uh, red food coloring and rubbed it all over the white dog and turned the dog pink. <laughs> when he came around the daughter the the corner walking the pink dog, she screamed in horror. <laughs> you you just never would know what Nate was going to do next. <laughs> And the fourth thing that Nate did, uh, he developed a strange ability that was very unusual. While he was on the volleyball court, he would lay on his back, pull his knees up to his chest, and suck in air through his butt. <laughs> and, and, and then he would release the air back 
and it sounded like he was playing a tuba. <laughs> oh my goodness! This is classic stuff from Stepanov. Yeah, yeah, and this is. And then here's another thing that they did. Uh, he did a whole lot of weird things. Uh, too many to tell you all of them. But the most outlandish uh, antic he did that most of the volleyball players at that time uh, would remember was when he was playing in the Corona Del Mar Open. And it was Saturday night. After the first day of play, we usually went to a local bar or someone's house where the players went and somebody would go there to party. Well, there was a player named Judd Ballard and he's actually uh, the first name on that trophy I told you about in 1949. He won it with another guy. Uh, well, Judd Ballard moved up to, from San Diego and moved into an apartment in Corona. He decided to have the party at his place that Saturday night, and his apartment was really small, and he lived above a garage. Uh, people started arriving uh, carrying six packs of beer. The players would sit around drinking beer and laughing about the various volleyball stories that were taking place. And after a while, Nate went into the kitchen, opened the refrigerator door, pulled out a head of lettuce, and started peeling off the leaves and throwing them on the kitchen floor. <laughs> then, he pulled out then he pulled out tomatoes and any other vegetables that would make up a salad and proceed to squirt oil and vinegar all over them and on the floor. He then said, salad's ready, if anybody needs it. <laughs> and there was over a, a hundred people there at this small upstairs apartment but Nate came to the kitchen, when the, the people came into the kitchen to get a beer, they would slip and fall on that oil that Nate squirted on the floor. He, he then, with another San Diego volleyball player, started placing beer bottles on the counter and started judo chopping them with their bare hands, causing broken glass all over the kitchen floor. Uh, then, after he did that, Nate and another player started doing the fake wrestling routine. And that was a big deal in those times, the fake wrestling. Yeah. They, they did it in the middle of the floor, in the living room. They, they started doing all kinds of wrestling moves and throwing each other to the floor. Then they started grabbing each other's clothes to make the moves, and while doing so, they started ripping off each other's clothes. <laughs> well, the, the girls at the party started covering their faces with their hands, but they were peeking through their fingers to watch what was going on. Yeah, I can relate. With Since there were so many people there, Nate decided they needed more room. So he and another wrestler picked up the couch and threw it out the front door of the second floor of the of that apartment. <laughs> like a and rock band at a hotel. A, pardon? It reminds me of like a rock band like Van Halen where they'd throw TVs yeah. out the window at the hotel it, room. It, it landed on a Porsche that was parked below. <laughs> then, then someone said, cool it, I think the cops are coming. Nate then went over to the window that was closed 
crashed his head through the window and screen and looked up and down the alley and said, no, they're not. And so the next day, that party made the headlines in the local paper with five police units responding to it. Well, that party went down history as the all-time party, always watching to see what we, what he might do next was what we did. Oh, <laughs> and gosh. that was stayed. And like I said, all the volleyball players at that time knew who he was and worried about what to expect next. <laughs> Good old Nate Parrish. Lang talked highly yeah. about him as a player, but this story is classic. I can't wait to hear uh, Ado's recollection of this. That's priceless, George. <laughs> I... Thank you for sharing that. Gosh. Hey, Vogie and, uh, and uh, Hovland and OB can't hold a candle to Nate Parrish, from what I understand. Well, uh, not for antics. <laughs> Although Vogie did a lot of strange things, like, like poking a hole in the volleyball that, was, uh, that both teams agreed on that they would play with, and Vogie didn't really want to play with that. <laughs> uh, you know, but but I think uh, Nate was the most colorful player that I've ever known, <laughs> and luckily there's not too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, your career wouldn't have lasted as long. <laughs> well, you know, or your wife would have divorced unfortunate, you. <laughs> uh, unfortunate, he died. Uh, you know, a few years ago. And uh, he's done so many weird things, like like uh, he, he heated a cookie cutter up on the stove till it was really hot, and then he pressed it against his cheek, and it, he had a star on his cheek of a cookie cutter. Uh, he carried that around a while. And he, he also, he dressed up like an old man once on the boardwalk, got a, a wheelchair, and uh, asked some people uh, if they could help him sit on the wall. And so, yeah, they agreed. They helped him, and they put him on the wall. And while he was sitting on the wall, he fell over backwards. And the people went, oh, God. You know? <laughs> and then they got up and got on hands and knees and put his face down on the sand, opened up his mouth, and crawled to the water at the bay, right through the volleyball court, to the water on the bay, getting sand all in his mouth. He just did so many of these things, it was unbelievable. Gosh, I never heard that about him, and that's that's priceless oh. commentary right there, George. Oh, yeah. He also took a car and drove it right into the beach, right into the water. Left the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. When did that happen? What beach? Oh, Mission Beach, where no cars are allowed on the beach. <laughs> did you ever, like, reconsider what you were doing with this <laughs> tournament or anything after stuff like that? Or are you like, well, it'll be better next year? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it had to be. <laughs> Yeah, but in hindsight now, think about that, George. You were part of all that and saw it all, and now you share it. It's pretty amazing. Well, I, I'd like to thank you for giving me a chance to uh, 
reminisce a little bit about the old days in volleyball and how it changed. And, you know, people used to drink beer on the beach all the time, and now they don't drink beer, they drink Gatorade and sit under, under an umbrella. <laughs> completely changed. <laughs> yeah. And this is exactly what I hope to gather from you tonight. And all those guys that played during that era are going to listen to this and they're going to be very thankful. And uh, that's what God's the Ghost is all about. And you delivered tenfold tonight stepping off, just like you and Derek did in the Stero when you won. <laughs> Pretty cool to win that tournament with your son, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was. Was that a highlight of your life? Uh, well, I guess I'd have to say the highlight of my life is getting married to the woman I have now, Arlene. And is she right? Is she boys. right next to you with a spatula above your head, or? Uh, <laughs> no, she's in the uh, other room, you know, watching TV. But she'll listen to this someday, and then that way you know you're not going to get your ass handed to you. I get it. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Uh, she's uncanny about being able to hear everything, no matter what. Yeah, I'm learning that with my fiance, where she's like, "You talk to Hagen more than you ever talk to me, even during our courtship," and uh, <laughs> she still puts up with it. And I'm like, "Do you realize this is like talking to like Vince Lombardi and Bart Starr and Paul Horning?" And she goes. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll kick your ass to the curb. <laughs> so this might help me out tonight. So I might have to have her talk to Arlene and say, ultimately, it's worth it. <laughs> so make sure she's ready for a call when I need it. Yeah, yeah, I might have to have her call, uh, call Arlene uh, real soon. Otherwise, I'll be uh, out in the doghouse with the German Shepherd. Well, George, uh, this was an honor for me. Um, you've done so much for the sport over decades, and I want to thank Chris Brown for getting me in touch with you, and I know we've been trying to do this for months and months, and you uh, tonight delivered the goods, and it was beautiful and amazing and gave get great insight on on the history of beach volleyball and all you've done for it and then all the amazing players and characters that were a part of it and i hope uh your family and kids and grandkids in the future generations can listen to this and realize how uh how we had such amazing people that played it directed it as tournament directors and shared their stories on it so it was it was an amazing experience for the last two hours buddy so thank you well I, i'd like to thank you for taking this up and, and and being able to show some of the people what happened in the old days of volleyball yep because they need to remember those guys selzik's not with us o'hara's not with us bright's not with us holtzman's not with us Brunicardi is no longer here. Uh, Parrish is no longer here, but he will <laughs> be remembered forever <laughs> on my Gods to Ghost website and uh, as a podcast. 
and uh, as well he should be because uh, this is it's like surfing you know it's people need to know uh, how amazing it this sport was before it became what it is now and you you were you were a big part of it that whole time period uh, during the golden age so thanks a lot George well, this well, is know, amazing I, did, I didn't realize it at the time and I was never a, the best player around but this sure that just you calling me and uh, having me remember some of the things that we did it, it made it uh, really nice uh, I appreciate you know what you're doing yeah, and you know what? It's sad that I it took a a hack from Wisconsin to do this. This should have been a thirty for thirty on ESPN Classic to talk about this sport like they do for like Eddie Icao and or in my opinion, this sport needs a awesome documentary like Riding Giants that was done that documents the whole history of the sport and players and tournament directors and characters and so people really respect and understand this sport for how amazing it was it's every bit as amazing as surfing and uh i it blows me away that i've had the opportunity to talk to all you guys and do this and in the great women's players that i've talked to and every day i like wake up and pinch myself and Tonight, for the last two hours, this will be something I'll remember for the rest of my life. Thank well, you. Hey, bottom line, stepping off. Thank you. Well, th- thank you, and and I look forward to seeing uh, what you uh, did with all the screwed up parts that I said. <laughs> no, they were amazing. There, there's nothing screwed up about it. It was beautiful and true and epitomizes the sport for what it was it was an amazing thing and you uh captured it spot on like don henley's boys of summer Thank you.